Welcome to the Stockouts. This is your show at Freight Waves for all things related to the CPG industry. I'm your host, Mike Bowden. I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here at uh, Freight Waves. So primarily deal with intermodal data and intermodal uh, customers, the customers for that data, but um, also have an opportunity to talk about um, CPG industry and participate in the, the media side as well. And today on the Stockouts, I'm going to give a little bit of a CPG uh, earnings preview, talk a little bit about what I think those companies are going to be uh, reporting the next few weeks. Uh, there's some of the earnings get kicked off this week in the CPG industry with Philip Morris, a good um, you know ESG name there, as uh, as well as Procter Gamble on Friday. So um, I'll talk a little bit about what I'm expecting for the group as a whole. I think you're going to hit on a few big CPG themes as those companies report uh, you know earnings. I'll also talk a little, about, a little bit about the commodities that go into CPG uh, ingredients. Uh, turns out they're not all going uh, down. Uh, sugar hitting uh, a new high for about the past uh, 11 years or so. Also talk a little bit about retail sales data. Uh, sort of would say the sales data there is kind of mixed. And then uh, as uh, usual, we'll give a great market uh, update um, and uh, talk a little bit about what's happening in the what's happening in the world of Sonar, our, our, our free data product here at at uh, Freight Waves and uh, also what our editorial writers are um, you know, writing about. So before I do that, if anyone is not already signed up for the Stockout newsletter, you can do that pretty easily at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout. It's going to be the first one under uh, under newsletters, um, supply chains. Uh, you can sign up for um, you know, as many of those newsletters as uh, you want. I think it's a pretty efficient way to uh, understand what's happening in the CPG um, industry or other industries in about 800 words. Um, they give us quite a bit of um, sort of latitude as far as what we write about on a week to week basis. It's kind of whatever is interesting, whatever we think that we would want to know uh, if we were in uh, the shoes of the targeted audience, in this case, targeted audience being a CPG a logistics uh, division. Uh, so, with that, I'll talk about the first the topic here, which is um, CPG earnings preview. And uh, this is reporting the next few 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 weeks. I think I'm going to hit on a few different themes. I think theme number one is I think you'll see margin recovery for most CPGs. I mean, most of the CPGs, I really think their top priority is to improve their margins back to where they were uh, in the pre-pandemic period. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, they had all these additional cost pressures for the supply chain challenges, for not having enough labor. Um, you know, a lot of the CPG volumes were way above the pre-pandemic levels because people stayed at home. That caused a lot of extra costs for things like contract manufacturing and expedited freight. So we're really just trying to get those margins uh, back. And so it wasn't just the the, the pandemic that, that caused that. It was also just the rising um, you know, commodity costs, you know, rising inflation. So during a period of rising inflation, the CPGs tend to uh, have margins that shrink because their input costs uh, uh, rise faster than they can pass those costs on to retailers and consumers. And then when inflationary pressures ease, and it does seem like at least the rate of change has come down quite a lot. Uh, that's when they get their margins back. So I think we're past the period of continual CPG margin contraction. I think we're in the period of CPG margin expansion. And I think uh, Conagra's results last week, um, or maybe it was two weeks ago now, you know, it was a preview of what we'll see from the other CPG companies where they showed a pretty significant margin improvement and it was within about 30 basis points of where they were pre-pandemic levels. So I uh, would expect that to um, you know, be, be something that you see. It's pretty consistent with uh, the sort of when you compare the CPI 
um, index to the PPI index where those lines came closer together. Um, you see that period during 2000, 2020 and 2021, how those lines got closer together. Really, that was a, a period of margin contraction for uh, most companies, most manufacturers, and that includes uh, CPG companies, certainly. And then uh, in recent months, starting to see some evidence that um, you know those margins are expanding again as, as those lines grow uh, further apart. So like last week, the CPI up 5% overall. Food at home up 8.5%. That's the one that's a little bit more directly relevant to the CPG industry and the PPI, you know, up 2.7 overall. So almost a little more than half of what the P, what the CPI was. And then the finished foods, which I, I think is pretty similar to the, the food at home uh, category up 6.7%. So CPI for food at home up 8.5, finished foods on the PPI uh, up 6.7. So the implication is that companies um, in the food industry would see 180 basis points of a margin, um, at least, you know, grant gross margin expansion because uh, the consumer price is rising faster than the producer prices at this point. So good news uh, for, for companies. Um, and I think we'll see that uh, when the companies report. There's also some interesting uh, uh, information from Conagra last week on just sort of their cost structure, where they say that ingredients and materials make up two thirds of their costs. And then some of the other things are still up um, pretty pretty significantly as well, like labor. They say those are up mid to high single digits, and then the transportation and, and, and warehousing component is coming down, um, you know, from a high level uh, as, as we have shown in the freight waves, uh, you know, data. You know, another uh, um, theme I think that is really going to be um, you know talked about during the, the CPG earnings season is that I think the companies will will have fewer supply chain issues. And that'll lead to higher on-stock uh, percentages. So you think of service levels from a CPG perspective, that means uh, getting the, the products to the retailer or retail to distribution center, wherever they need to go, sort of on time and in full to satisfy those requirements. I think those percentages will rise. And I think you'll hear fewer about fewer supply chain issues, or at least companies say that the, their, their supply chain issues are less than they were a few quarters ago, uh, just from all of the sort of the CPG news feeds that I'm on, I'm seeing a lot fewer of those issues. It's actually caused a little bit, made it a little bit harder to find topics to write about uh, for the stock out because there's been fewer problems, but that has uh, the impact on CPG companies a couple different ways. You know, one of those ways is they'll have a little bit better volume because those products will be to retailers and be on shelves. And then you also have some lower associated costs because when there are supply chain issues that causes incremental uh, cost things like expedited freight, having to get um, you know ingredients from another source, uh, etc. What makes up for that partially is you might see a little bit of increase in marketing spend because as those companies had those supply chain issues during the pandemic, a lot of them cut back on marketing, figuring well there's no reason to market those products that are not going to be on shelves. So maybe they give back a little bit of that, but I, I wouldn't uh, think um, that it would it would make up for the whole the whole difference. Uh, Sort of theme number three is I think elasticities will continue to be muted. So elasticity is something CPG companies care a lot about, uh, particularly when price levels are rising uh, as much as they have been. Uh, so the industry-wide, this, the elasticity has been about a 0 0.3 uh, thereabouts, which means that for every 100 basis points that these companies take the prices up, uh, that the, 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 re the consumers see... It's about 30 basis point decline in um, in volume. And so that's been no worse than historical levels. And I think most of the CPG companies have been pretty satisfied uh, 
with that elasticity, you've heard um, you know companies use terms like muted elasticity, and I think that will continue um, this quarter uh, as the companies report. I think if we would have uh, seen a huge uh, uptick in elasticity, we probably would have seen it already uh, with the caveat that the consumer is still under a lot of pressure, which is something that I'll talk about a little bit later in the show when I go through the retail uh, sales level uh, sales um, data. Um, but for the most part, I think it, the companies will talk about elasticity continuing to be under control. Uh, another theme here is I think one risk that investors are uh, concerned about is that the brands are going to use promotions too heavily. That's come up on some analyst calls I've seen in some analyst reports. And sort of the, the theory there that's a that's a bearish um, you know, argument is that the CPG companies during the pandemic um, and during this period of, of rising uh, price levels, one of the ways they wrote, they increased prices without formally increasing prices was to have fewer promotions. So fewer buy one, get one free, those type of things. And, um, you know, that's, uh, was, it was able to, you know, maybe preserve margins just a little bit. And the CPG items went from being about 18% of the total items being under some kind of promotion like that to about 12%, which is a historic low. And so the idea is these companies will fight each other over volume and uh, have more of those promotions and that the companies will essentially give away a lot of this margin, um, you know, potential margin improvement that they should be seeing. And so that's the, uh, you know, one theory that's out there. Um, you know, I don't uh, buy it too much because I think the CPG companies are very focused on, on margins. I don't think that um, they're going to uh, com- yeah, trip over themselves to to get you know volume uh, you know at the expense of margins. That's not the impression that that I get. I mean, so many of the CPG companies are reducing the number of SKUs uh, in order to preserve margins, and that's something that you know historically is, is something that you could you know trade sales in in, in exchange for margin because you know, some consumers, in theory, their SKU disappears, they go to different company. Um, different companies' product, but um, so many of the CPG companies feel like, well, if they eliminate a low-performing SKU, that consumers are just going to gravitate to a different SKU that that company manufactures. You hear that from companies like Nestle and and Smucker that have uh, a lot of products at various uh, you know various price points. Uh, move on to topic uh, number two. So I would say on balance. Uh, exp- Pretty positive on um, you know the company's uh, reporting earnings next couple uh, weeks. I think on balance um, they'll they'll be pretty positive for all those reasons I just outlined. I'll move on to topic number two, which is uh, sugar prices are uh, surging. Uh, this chart that's on the screen goes back to the middle of two thousand three, uh, so let's call it a twenty year um, a chart. And uh, the sugar prices now are the highest they've been in about 11 years since about the beginning of 2012. And, uh, you know, a few reasons for that. Uh, there's been, I guess, difficult growing conditions in Asia, rated in Thailand, and, um, you know, also these uh, high fertilizer prices that were really sort of the result of the Ukraine uh, war in Ukraine. And even though Ukraine really doesn't produce sugar, itself that would that would move the the global commodity markets they do produce a lot of the fertilizer that would normally get exported to um to asia that using the in the sugar production so that um is is working its way into those into those sugar uh, prices so this is kind of one uh, example of um you know commodity that's going the other 
the other way. Some other examples are um, you know, orange juice, concentrated, frozen concentrated orange juice up 37% year to date. So that's another commodity that's 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 increasing. Supposedly that's the worst crop um, in Florida in uh, 86 years. Uh, so a 23% decline in production this uh, from last year, according to the USDA. And then coffee prices are also uh, rising. So on this show, I talk a lot about um, you know, sort of what's happening with commodity prices overall. And a lot of the real big ones are um, you know, have declined. Things like uh, you know, corn, wheat, soybeans, those well off their highs. You know, those uh, you know, a big deal for a lot of CPG companies. But then you have some of these others uh, that that are rising, which uh, depending on uh, which CPG company we're talking about, um, you know, could have a little bit of a mix, a mixed bag in terms of um, you know what their what their cost structure sure is. So really, you have to look at the specific uh, commodities that pertain to to your uh, company. Uh, Move on to topic number three is that grocery sales we have have been weak in March, and uh, there's some interesting data here from uh, the uh, I guess this is the um, U.S. Census Bureau. So the U.S. Census Bureau puts out this chart. If you can see the screen, and uh, the one that probably pertains the most directly to uh, CPG is the white box, uh, which is uh, you know excludes is retail sales excludes auto. Uh, and so you see in January, I was still up about 2%. And the other, the other thing to mention here is that these are adjusted for seasonality, but not adjusted for price changes. So these are not adjusted for uh, in, inflation. And so sort of a flat number like you get in February uh, really does represent um, it's kind of a flat dollar number, but uh, you know, a reduction in what consumers are getting uh, you know, for those dollars. And you do see sort of the trend of, a, a decline, uh, you know, on a seasonally adjusted uh, basis. You know, part of that is likely that that January, typically a, a weak month for these type of sales, so they get an adjust adjustment upward. March is usually better, so you get an adjustment, uh, you know, downward. But um, but still, I think a little bit concerning that uh, March uh, declining on the retail sale fell 1.2 percent month over month and down 1.5 percent year over year. So that did look worse than February, which is down. 0.2% month over month um, and, uh, and, and a 5.9% uh, year over year. So it does, it does seem like uh, there's a little bit of um, additional pressure you know, on the consumer, at least on a seasonally adjusted basis. I think one bright spot there was e-commerce in March up 1.9% from February and up 12.3% from a year ago. So even though you do hear a lot about retrenchment in uh, e-commerce, I think uh, there's still data suggests that it's still a, a growing uh, you know industry. Uh, I'll move on to topic number four here, which is a freight market update. And I'll look at this from a few different um, a few different ways. There's a good uh, article that uh, Todd Maiden just published. This is freight shipments costs and freight shipments and costs uh, sag in March. Uh, so he wrote up uh, data that was put out by Cass uh, the Cass Freight and, and Cass, um, where it's a 12 percent decline in expenditures and then have this grid that I think was interesting from his his article if we can bring that up. So this is in March 2022. This is from from Cass Information Systems. So this is a company that processes freight payments. And what is uh, interesting here is you look at that that second the column that's the second to the right, you know, shipments one down 1% month over month. That's in March from February. Now that's unusual because March is usually a stronger month that in February. That's why on the column to the far right, on a seasonally adjusted basis, it's down 
3.8%. And that's something that you always have to keep in mind when you analyze freight data is just how seasonal it is. And uh, March usually is kind of the make or break month for carriers in the first quarter. Usually to start to see um, some improving uh, freight conditions. And even though maybe January um, into February was maybe held up a little bit better than expectations, just given how soft the fall was, you know, really haven't seen that in, um, in, in haven't seen much improvement in March. The other thing that um, is interesting from looking at this chart is you can, when you combine a couple of these different indexes. So that first one, if you're looking at the column on the left, the year over year change in shipments down 4%. In, in March. So let's say volume down 4% in March, expenditures down 12%. Now those expenditures are all in and would include uh, fuel. And so the implication is that a CPG company or another shipper, um, you know, had an 8% lower all in uh, costs in uh, the month of, um, in, in the month of March. Uh, and, and so that's kind of a bogey that I would use. If I was a CPG company, look at this, I would look at my, my own you know, costs all in and say, you know, how, how does mine compare to that benchmark of about 8% uh, lower uh, per shipment? And then you have all this, also that, that index of the truckload, um, you know, line haul index down 9.6%. Um, believe that strips out both fuel and, uh, you know, accessorials. Analyzing fuel month over month in March is a little tricky because March of last year, the diesel prices were really, were really running. So there could be, depending on, you know, exactly the timing there, um, you know, the timing could be a, a little bit off, um, you know, when exactly that, that's being uh, calculated. But, you know, all things considered, uh, it's, it shows some, some uh, you know, weakness in freight, uh, you know, market, uh, you know, rates. And so that's something that, um, you know, go back and read that article. And then another thing I would highlight, you know, while we're on the topic of uh, the freight uh, market is um, there's going to be a state of freight webinar uh, later this uh, week. And these have been really good. Uh, I've, I've listened to the past, you know, few, and it's just a really efficient way in one hour to hear from uh, Craig Fuller, a founder and CEO, Zach Strickland, who I think knows the data that we have in uh, freight waves better than anyone, and uh, Adam jo Josephson, who um, has a background similar to mine as a sell side stock analyst, and uh, his specialty is cardboard uh, boxes and other packaging, which is remarkably closely correlated and tied with the freight transportation market. And so he brings an interesting perspective on, um, you know, what's happening in the freight markets as well. So that is well worth your time. I think all you have to do to, to sign up for that is go to freightwaves.com, go to events, and it's one of the virtual uh, events. Uh, move on to a couple of, of sonar charts that stand out uh, to me. Want to bring up, uh, this is domestic, um, intermodal volume. Uh, so just looking at 53 foot uh, containers. And so what's unique about this data series is that this, we're limiting it to just the domestic uh, segment. If you look at the AAR data that comes out every week, every Wednesday, I think most people probably get that, that data that conflates the domestic and international uh, intermodal volume. And we're also able to look at it on a lane by lane uh, basis. But so this is going to be, uh, you know, the JB Hunt's uh, you know, market, hub groups, market, Schneider's market, all those companies that participate in the, in the domestic intermodal market that own 53 foot containers. This is the, what, you know, what they, what they care about. And, uh, really what this shows is, uh, you know, been a lot of weakness in the domestic intermodal, uh, segment as well this year. Uh, you know, really the, the domestic intermodal segment had been holding up, uh, you know, pretty well relative to 
the international segment throughout last year, as well as most other transportation modes and starting to see that crack a little bit uh, this year where, um, you know, now those uh, volumes are down double digits and sort of took a, a pretty significant, um, you know, step down in March and into April. So uh, J.B. Hunt reports after the close uh, today, uh, just Monday. And so we'll see, um, you know, if they're any less optimistic on the market. I think one silver lining for the, the intermo domestic intermodal companies is that there seems to be more container balance in the market because most of the lanes that have been weak have been a lot of these outbound LA lanes, uh, sort of the primary ones being LA to Chicago, LA to Dallas, and LA to Atlanta. Those are all down um, you know, well into the double digits. And uh, that's really just been driven by lower import volumes, particularly lower import volumes into the ports of, of LA and, and, and Long Beach. Um, seems like with inventory levels still a little high, in a lot of cases, there's less need for speed and getting those uh, uh, products to market quickly, which is normally what you would do. Um, you know, it gives an advantage to the LA uh, market because uh, you can move that quickly on, on what's called the land bridge versus a, an all water route uh, to, to the East Coast. Um, so we'll be interested to see um, what, what JB Hunt says. Um, also interested to see what they say about pricing. I uh, have an intermodal chart on uh, pricing that we can uh, that we can bring up. And so, this is from uh, you know data that comes from a company that processes transactions, and uh, each of those lines represents a year, uh, with 2023 being the white line. And you see that you know last year 2022 was in was in green, and that actually held up uh, pretty well uh, sort of throughout the year. But I think a large part of that was um, is a result of intermodal contracts repricing, more of the repricing on an annual basis under annual contracts. And so, like, if you compared that to what happened in the um, dry van truckload market, more of those uh, were, were repriced quarterly. And so you would have seen, if you did the equivalent chart for dry van, you saw rates step down um, kind of each quarter, uh, you know, last year. But in the intermodal space, mostly annual contracts, mostly priced in the first part of the year. So you do see that down pretty significantly, um, you know, year over year right now. I think when I look at the last data point, it's down uh, kind of um, kind of mid-teens and in line with 2021 levels. Um, should mention that it is down from a high uh, level. You look at 2019 is in purple, 2020 is in, um, or, or 2019 is in, is in blue, 2020 is in purple. They did take a, a step up during the pandemic of all that tightness that happened in the middle of 2020. And then as those contracts got repriced in early 2021 and early 2022, those were both up double digit uh, percentages. And so now it's kind of going back down to where it was, let's say 2021 levels, but kind of the trajectory seems to suggest that it's going to maybe go lower than that. I don't know that we're going to get all the way back to, to pre-pandemic uh, you know, levels on that because the carrier's costs have certainly risen um, you know, during that uh, time frame. But this is something uh, to watch um, you know, pretty closely is the trajectory of intermodal uh, contract uh, rates. So that's really um, what I wanted to go over today. Um, we'll look to write up, um, you know, what happens with uh, JB Hunt uh, on Monday night, and then later in the week we have CSX and uh, Union Pacific. Um, so I'll try to speak about those on uh, you know, People Speaking uh, Rail, which I host on Thursday at 3 p.m. Uh, do that with uh, Joanna Marsh, who is our editorial um, you know, writer on the railroad uh, you know, industry. Hopefully uh, she's able to 
to to join me. I guess she had a, an issue with um, with her house, uh, a, a kind of a, yeah, act of God, if you will. The tree fell on her house and uh, you know did quite a lot of, of damage. And so I think they had to take. She said she had to take everything out of her son's house um, and going to have to have some you know, hundred foot you know crane pull the the the, the tree um, you know off of her house. So. She's dealing with a lot. Hopefully, we can still um, do the show together on uh, on Thursday. If not, I can probably handle it, um, you know, on my own. Um, but won't have her, uh, you know, insights. I think with the key thing for the rails, uh, you know, right now, uh, at least from my perspective, is you know how are they going to you know, pass on the the higher um, you know costs that they're incurring? You know, keep in mind, all the railroad workers got a big raise, um, you know, last year with the contract negotiations. So that's a big issue, and then. Um, what's also a big issue is the service levels, which there are still seem to be a lot of complaints about um, in, um, railroad service issues from the American Chemistry Council and other uh, you know shipper uh, groups. Um, is interesting that some of the uh, rail CEOs are starting to maybe make comments to back off of PSR. You saw the probably saw the comment from C- CSX, a CEO that says, "Well, maybe the PSR took it." a little bit uh, too far. So, um, you know, kind of reading the room and saying, well, you know, PSR went from being the, the, the way to market the uh, the shares to Wall Street um, to being something that you're trying to walk back uh, to not be regulated too, too heavily. So, um, you know, with that, uh, see people on Thursday for People Speaking Rail and hope everyone has a great day. 